Hi everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the EB podcast, Do Mariners Dream of Electric Ships? My name is Hannah Koh, and I'm Assistant Editor of EcoBusiness. In today's discussion, presented by Dan Foss, we'll be looking at an industry that has been lagging when it comes to climate action, shipping. Responsible for transporting 90% of goods around the world and generating more than 2% of global carbon emissions, the maritime industry finally got a wake-up call in 2016. The United Nations Agency for Shipping, the International Maritime Organization, has ordered a switch to cleaner, low-sulfur fuels by 2020. How is the sector preparing for this transition? And is electrification the answer? We've rounded up two experts to answer these questions for us today. First up is Dr. Sanjay Kutan, Executive Director of the Singapore Maritime Institute, which develops strategies and programs related to the academic policy and R&D aspects of the industry, focusing on sectors such as port, shipping and maritime services. We are also pleased to have Soren Vorning, President for Asia-Pacific of Danish multinational Danfoss with us today. Soren brings 15 years of experience in the industrial sector and has been leading Danfoss teams in Asia and Europe over the past 10 years. Welcome to the EB Podcast, gentlemen. Now, shipping is not something that many people outside the industry pay much attention to, yet it's a critical part of the economy. So in our conversation today, I hope we shed some light on efforts to decarbonize the industry and why it matters for the fight against climate change and achieving the aims of the Paris Agreement and the Sustainable Development Goals. So my first question is, shipping has been slow to adopt emission reduction targets until the International Maritime Organization decided, you know, enough is enough, and in 2016 announced that it would ban ships from using fuels with sulfur content above 0.5%. That's starting in 2020, compared to 3.5% now. So Sanjay, as Executive Director of the Singapore Maritime Institute, can you explain to our listeners what this means for the industry? Yeah, so I, I think for the shipping industry, it's a, a great move to suddenly feel that they're contributing to our fight against climate change. And you must remember the 0.5 sulfur is not a carbon reduction. Eh? It's a sulfur reduction. So it's more of an environmental issue rather than the carbon uh, CO2 reduction, which has its own target of 50% by 2050. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is really getting rid of the sulfur and contaminants. Um, what it means for Singapore is we are also lucky that we have a huge refining center. So I think between the oil majors, they are they are prepared, uh, and what I understand from Sipcon that they're prepared to come on board and supply the fuels. So the fuels are going to be ready, and LNG becomes also a very uh, a very good fuel. Uh, to address this issue, especially at least for sulfur and in part for CO2. So Singapore's position for that and next, we already had trials on LNG bunkering this year and we should see LNG bunkering ready for next year's uh, shipping industry. Soren, maybe you can tell us what this means for the industry and how you've seen shipping companies seek to adapt to this challenge? I think as any other industries, the marine industry is adapting to the challenges they face. Although some will call the marine industry a conservative industry with traditions, etc., etc., that is sometimes hard to overcome. And potentially that is what has given you, let's say, the perception that it's moving slow. But actually, I think the shipping industry is preparing on various elements and new technologies and new ways of doing things to large extent driven by the need for reducing their cost in terms of fuel and operating costs, maintenance costs, etc. And, and we see uh, there is an increased 
awareness of the opportunities within hybridization in the marine sector. We see hybrid, we even see fully electrified vessels today. There has been various, let's say, development projects and various pilots in terms of cleaning some of the noxes. There's an increased focus on uh, NOx emission sensors, etc., etc., where they have to report on the, uh, the standards there and then follow the trend there. Dr. Sanjay mentioned the LNG as, as a fuel uh, for the future, which will, uh, let's say, help some of these challenges and barriers. And uh, scrubbers is still uh, within the discussion, and, and a scrubber is washing or cleaning the exhaust gases of the vessels today. So I, I think the marine industry is preparing both in, in, on, on the sea if you look a little more closer to the shore, you also see ports being and city developers becoming more and more aware of the need for reducing the climate impact in, in city areas. It can be air pollution, noise, vibration, and we see technologies going towards more and more ship-to-shore supply when the vessel is in the, in the port itself. And that can reduce the, the climate impact of, of, the, of the shipping industry. And, and we should not underestimate the fact that today 90% of global trade is still moved around the globe on, a, on vessels. So there's a huge uh, element of, of impact to the whole society and the marine industry. And naturally the, the companies uh, are and, and clearly need to develop towards a more greener future, both for the competitiveness uh, in, the, in the tight business. You, you mentioned a tight ship. I think they're all running tight ships and also for the um, for the climate impact, for sure. Right, that's huge. Thank you so much for outlining that. And same question to you, Sanjay. Though maybe could you touch a little bit more on how regulators and other players within the maritime industry are adapting for this low-carbon, low-pollutants future as well? Are there certain solutions that you think regulators would encourage shipping companies and other players to take up? Yeah, I, th- I think the main challenge is striking a balance between making sure that the the port services within your own country state is competitive uh, and efficient, and also balancing the responsibilities that you have at large with the environment and the community that you're operating in. So the kind of policies that you want to kind of put put forward is you need to be mindful of these tensions that happen. I think that there's convergence now between uh, competitiveness and uh, environmental responsibility, but there is that still that um, tension that exists because within your within the area that you operate in, there are other ports that are coming up that's fighting for this mind share and fighting for the timeshare of uh, ships to come to port of call. So this is a very important thing. So this, when when we look at uh, when I think when the government starts thinking about this, it really needs to have this consideration and making sure that you don't cripple and or hamstring your own industry. But you need to also push them and nudge them and provide either you know, through research, through gap uh, funding, through research, or even incentives to actually make that shift so that it's not so painful from a, from a business standpoint. Right. All right, that's really interesting. Moving on to some of the solutions that we talked about, um, and Soren has mentioned you know, using Liqu- uh, liquefied natural gas. We've talked about hybridization, which is a combination of your traditional combustion engine with an electric engine. So nowadays, we're looking at electrification as the pathway to the future. We have cars that are electric, we have buses and increasingly ferries and trams as well. Do you think electrification is the way forward for the shipping industry? 
Okay, I can go first. Uh, I, I clearly see that the electrification is uh, playing uh, an, a more and more important role in, in various of these uh, of the transport sector. If you look on the marine and the shipping industry, we already now see uh, areas in the world, uh, specifically in, in the northern European uh, part of the world, where we see more and more fully electrified ferries, uh, tugboats and fishing industries. And if you consider out here in, in, in Singapore and around uh, Singapore, we have thousands of islands with small fishing boats, tugboats, working boats, uh, ferries, uh, going from one island to an island relatively close to shore. And there it makes perfectly sense to have fully electrified ferries today or boats or vessels today. This reduces the noise, even the vibration level, which is also impacting the undersurface water environment. The reduction of energy is significantly and by that directly translated into the CO2 emissions. If you look on larger vessels, we have today solutions where in the, in the world where we have more hybrid solutions, where you have a smaller main engine, uh, where you then uh, add a, a motor slash a generator on the same shaft, uh, which is called shaft propulsion uh, electrically. And by that you can actually, in, in low idle mode, you can charge a battery on the vessel and in peak period you then utilize the generator as a motor in order to secure your, your the, the needed power. This increases uh, the redundancy on the vessel itself, it reduces the fuel consumptions today, I think somewhere between 10 to 40% of the total fuel consumption on larger vessels. Um, it makes the vessel possible to go uh, fully silent into the port, uh, where it can go 100% on the electric en engine. And uh, to put a little in perspective, um, there is today a ferry in, in Taiwan, which I believe is the first ferry in Asia, which is 100% electrified. And I believe that we will see a lot more of that coming in the years to, years to come. Uh, it will uh, clearly help on the environment, uh, not only from a, a fuel consumption point of view, but also the, the air environment in, in near the shore, or let's say closer to the shore uh, areas in, in, the, in the marine industry. Yeah, I mean, definitely, I think the push for electrification, uh, and not just in the maritime, but in, uh, in, uh, from a cross-sectoral cross perspective, is really driven by the emergence of renewables and the cost reduction of renewables. I think if we were still burn, burning coal, we wouldn't be pushing for electrification. So we must recognize that um, accessibility to clean energy is a, one of the key drivers that kind of pushed everyone to, why don't we electrify instead of uh, burning hydrocarbons? That was I think that's the first thing we need to think about. So when you look at shipping, shipping industry is a very heterogeneous population of demand, right? You go from the small coastal harbour crafts to the ocean-going vessels, and you cannot treat them all in the same way because their operational demands are very, very different. Uh, one of the major considerations when you start thinking about let full electrification or hybrid electrification is around safety. Uh, you must remember the further out you are away from the coast, the more dangerous dangerous the ocean is to the existence of that shipping vessel and the seamen therein. So therefore, they are at the mercy of Mother Nature and therefore must have reliable power and cannot afford to be stranded. When you start thinking that way, you said, okay, if we do fully electrify that boat, uh, 
that ship, can they uh, can they sustain themselves out there and come back? And this is where the hybrid arg argument comes in. And do you have sufficient battery systems to even sustain yourself that way, right? But you come closer to the coastal, then you say, you know, you know what? Not so not so dangerous. We can actually have coastal water where you have full electrification. And that's why you're seeing harbor crafts and ferries being the first yeah. first conversions happening. Having said that, you must have the power system to actually supply that clean energy, right? So at one level, you can say, okay, you are going to have a lower carbon footprint than not doing it at all, right? But the ultimate uh, goal would be to have uh, renewable generated electrons that will realize the full benefit of coastal electrification. And I think for Singapore specifically, if you look at uh, our availability of renewables, which is limited, we, there's only so much we can do, but doesn't mean we, doesn't mean that we don't do anything either, because burning uh, LNG is far cleaner than burning uh, any other hydrocarbon. And if we can electrify harbor crafts, then because the harbour craft carbon accounting accrues to us, the carbon accounting for ocean growth a vessel doesn't accrue to us. So if we, if we start electrifying ocean vessels, then the carbon accounting comes back to us. <laughs> so, you know, so depending on how IMO is going to treat this in the future, but at least for now it stands, uh, battery system, full electrification of harbour craft would be, I think, the first step that we will see before we go to a full ocean vessel electrification. Yeah, Sorry, I, I basically agree uh, for sure, but it's also important that we consider that the big vessels, uh, the ocean-going ships and vessels, when they come into the port, they're typically in a, f a few hours, maybe up to six hours, where they are today having the main engine running just to keep the, uh, let's mm -hmm. say, the HVAC and the crane and the operation on the vessel going. So they are simply driving a generator, creating uh, of generating electric electricity electrical power right on, on the vessel itself. And here, uh, our view or my view is clearly that uh, we need to secure a push for mandatory ship to shore supply when you're in the port itself. No matter if we have renewable energy or not, there's still a need for building the infrastructure about a more green power generation than the engine on the vessel itself. And that's today an, an opportunity. It's not new technology. The technologies are very well proven in, in various sectors and and uh, it's, it's more innovating the way we're using these technologies to support the marine uh, industry as well. Yes, thank you. Just with regards to Singapore on that one, I think one of the things, uh, one of the challenges we have that we need to be cognizant about addressing about ship to shore charging is Singapore handles about 400 ships a day. Mm -hmm. Now, if you do the math on that and everyone does ship to shore charging, there's a huge demand on our power system, which we're not sure whether we actually have the capacity for. Sure. Uh, so this is the kind of balance that we need to start thinking through uh, on how do we manage ship to shore. Uh, and I agree with you, the technology is there. The, the, the question is, can you, uh, can you actually supply that when you're having 400 ships a day uh, coming to your peers? Yeah. And I think this is what uh, we are grappling with. Although if you had one ship, that'll be okay. But if you start looking at trying to do it for everyone, then there is going to be a constraint on the grid system. Right, for sure, for sure. So what would balance look like in your mind, Sanjay? For me, balance is, you know, I, I, I definitely feel the harbour craft systems can, can go electric. 
you know, and, and I think it's a question of design and how you charge them and, and you do your calcs on the, the grid supply and things like that. So I think that that's something that can happen. And I think what you'll see with electrification is autonomous vessels also coming in. You know, uh, and, and that's going to be more because I think the link between uh, electrification and autonomous vessels is very close, uh, especially the digitalization. And you, you'll see this sooner than later. I think in uh, Finland, they already have had finalized the, one of the trials for the autonomous ferries already. So you'll see, see this happening first uh, before you will get into that major ship to shore. Uh, Big ocean vessels, you know, and I think maybe you could be you could be picky. You could just do the um, uh, ferries, you know, the, and your star cruisers and things like that, you know, as a first because they, you don't have that many ships. And I think we slowly need to build up based on our ability to supply the electricity in a re reliable way. Right, that's really interesting because um, I was at a conference earlier this year, and the whole idea of electric vessels and electric ocean-going vessels did come up. And one major obstacle that they were talking about, and it's interesting because both of you have mentioned that we have the technology required, is battery technology. That seems to be like a major obstacle at this moment. So what are the limitations of the current technology and what is the way forward, really? There is clearly an ongoing development in, in the battery sector, and that has been ongoing for the last uh, many years uh, with an accelerated development over the last few years. And today we have uh, ferries and we have smaller vessels running 100% on batteries uh, today. And, and uh, they are saving these uh, 40 to up to 40% of the, of the fuel consumption in, in a hybrid vessel. And, and of course, there's no fuel in a, in a fully electrical. So, so it is possible today with, a, as Dr. Sandy had said, uh, close to coast ferries where they get connected and then they get charged. Uh, and, and on the battery side, uh, I, I still see that we will we will see development also in the years to come. But it's it's coming close, although it's clearly not uh, sufficient for the ocean-going uh, vessels. I, I don't think they will ever become ah ever is a, is a tough word. But in the near future, they will not be fully electrical. I, I see more the balance will be between an LNG uh, supply uh, of let's say fuel consumption, and then it will be a mix of smaller vessels going electrical. And I, th I still believe that somehow we can conclude our dialogue here that if it is LNG or if it is electrical, the infrastructure needs to be built uh, to support all of it. So, in terms. Do you want me to comment on the battery side? Yes, definitely, if you would like to comment on the <laughs> <laughs> Some of the challenges uh, on the battery. Um, one is, you know, vessels, uh, space constraints is one. So, you, how do you minimize the space requirement with, and maximize the power? So it's a power density uh, challenge. The second thing on, on ocean-going vessels or even, even harbour crafts, which is different from road type of transport, is the, um, the loads on the battery varies with the waves. You know, the, the yawing and, the, and uh, the movements of the ship causes different types of load strains. So the battery management system needs to be uh, constructed in a way that actually can address these kind of uh, very quick varying loads on the propulsion system. And so make sure that the cells, you know how batteries work, that you know the, the, the worst performing cell becomes the baseline. So you know it needs to be able to uh, have a smarter system to manage that. And I think you will, you will see some technologies emerging already where they ad help address this. So between the, the size, the power density, and this battery management system, uh, these are the constraints that you know limit your application. So where you have like you know the ferries that go along Singapore River, 
very benign waters, very straightforward travel, easy to manage. When you start going to even taking a, a boat ride from Singapore to Batam, you're going across channels, open seas, then the loads start to change a bit more, you know, the fighting against the current, moving back and forth and things like that. So the battery now needs to, you know, uh, have a very different type of capability. So we need to think about not just the ship as a vessel, but the things of where, how is it being applied and where is it traveling and the requirements therein. So these are the kind of constraints on the batteries. So as a final question, maybe in 20 seconds, can you please tell me what is one thing that the shipping industry needs to do to prepare for a decarbonized, low pollutants, clean future, really? Soren, go. Sure, I can. Uh, I think if you, if you look on the shipping industry today as a country, they would actually rank the sixth largest greenhouse gas emitter in the world, according to the World Bank. So somewhere just between Japan and Germany. And uh, if there's no change in the way we are operating our 90% movement of our global trade, uh, this shipping industry will, will somewhere uh, count between 10 and 17% of the greenhouse gas by 2050. So I think a significant threat to the Paris Agreement by all governments. So I believe that we need to see a larger and more ambitious target setting for where we want to go. And I was just triggered, and I know I'm over 20 seconds now, <laughs> I was just triggered by an article I was uh, reading uh, about some of these uh, uh, areas here, elements here, where a, a Roman philosopher, Seneca, was mentioned. And he said, apparently, the, in the old days, that if one does not know to which port one is sailing, no wind is favorable. And I really believe that the target set and the ambitions for the marine and shipping industry on that aspect needs to go up. Right. Very well said. Very eloquent, Soren. Thank you. And Sanjay? I think in our fight for climate change, let's not forget that it's going to be a collective effort across the entire value chain. Let's not put the burden on any one segment, but share that responsibility, which means both the consumer has to also demand for cleaner and greener products, that it demands for a green supply chain, even though it has a slightly higher cost, but of course the cost of the environment is going to be far greater. So unless we are willing to work together, then the maritime industry, which has gone through a very painful period on trying to match with the low freight rates, will never be able to sustain the business. So there's no point saying we want it cheap, then no one's going to be able to sail the ships anymore. So everyone needs to come together and find a solution that brings the greening of the entire supply value chain. And we need to see shipping as part of that equation, right? Uh, I think the shipping industry may have been a laggard, but it can also be a very fast follower because it has the scale and capacity to create impact if the elements come together. Well said, Sanjay, and I certainly hope so. All right, that is all the time we have today on the EB Podcast. Thank you both very much for your time and take care. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast was hosted by EcoBusiness at the SDG Co, a co-working space for sustainable development organizations in Asia. EcoBusiness is the leading digital media company serving the region's sustainability community. This episode is part of the podcast series, Tomorrow's Cities, Engineering the Energy Transition, which is supported by Dan Foss. Dan Foss engineers energy efficient and smart technologies, which enable the world of tomorrow to do more with less. 
Join the conversation by visiting eco-business.com, follow us on social media, or subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.